I am Dr. Robin Roth. And I'm Dr. Adrienne Rosenthal. Together, we are the Booby Docs, our Instagram account where we talk about breast health in an approachable and educational way. We are both fellowship-trained breast radiologists who have been best friends since day one of med school. We work together, we mom together, and now we podcast together. This is The Booby Docs, the girlfriend's guide to breast cancer, breast health, and beyond. In this podcast, we attempt to bridge the gap between doctor and patient while having some fun along the way, all in around 30 minutes or less. So without further ado, let's be breasties. This podcast is not intended for medical advice. Please contact your doctor with any symptoms or concerns that you may be having. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Hey, breasties. Welcome to Episode 4 of the Booby Docs Podcast. Today, we're going to be focusing on genetics. For most of the episode, we'll be talking to our dear friend, Lainey Jones, who was diagnosed with five cancers before the time she was 30 years old and later found to have Lee syndrome the last few minutes of the episode, we're going to be speaking to Emily Goldberg, a genetic counselor from J-Screened, regarding what are some warning signs that might alert someone that they need to see a genetic counselor. We hope you enjoyed this episode. So Lainey Jones, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and sharing with you my cancer journey. So at 18 months old, um, I was diagnosed with adrenal cortical carcinoma, which is a very rare cancer of your adrenal glands. Your adrenal glands sit on top of your kidneys for those of you that don't know what those are. Um, and I, I always knew I was a survivor. I always knew I had childhood cancer. My parents were super diligent and noticed something was not right with me when I was a child and um, acted on it immediately. So thankfully, I didn't have to go through any type of treatment. I just had surgery to remove my adrenal gland. And I went on my merry way, as, as merry as that, as that sounds, because I was 18 months old and really don't remember it. But growing up, you know, I always knew I had adrenal cancer. I got routine scans till I was about 15. And at 15 years old, my doctors were like, okay, you're in the clear. You don't need to be scanned anymore. You're good to go. And it's really funny because as a child, it was something I never really spoke about. Like I never told people that I had cancer as a baby because I was almost embarrassed because I feel like... I'm 37 now. I feel like it wasn't as prevalent to speak about being a cancer survivor, a cancer patient when I was growing up. So um, we used to tell people that my mom, because I would never wear um, one piece bathing suit, uh, two piece bathing suits. And I would always tell people my scar on my stomach is because I swallowed a penny. I would never say I had adrenal cancer. So it was just like always a joke that we had. Um, And it wasn't until about I was in high school when I really like realize that, you know, I survived something traumatic as a child and, you know, I need to do something about it. And I I think I should be a nurse. And I, it just really kind of revolved my high school years around focusing on like pediatric oncology and how to give back. I participated in Relay for Life. And, and it was really in that moment when I went up to the survivor's tent and I said to, to one of the volunteers, I said, oh, I'm a cancer survivor. And she's like, you're joking, right? You're not a cancer survivor. And I said, no, I had childhood cancer. And in that moment, I was like, okay, I need to do something about this. Like, I, it needs to be loud. I need to be proud that I survived cancer. So wonderful. So um, fast forward to going into college. I wanted to become a pediatric co- oncology nurse. It, and it was about two weeks before my 25th birthday, going into nursing school, being a hypochondriac. 
um, that I had felt a lump. And actually, I should start over. I, I felt a lump six months prior to that in July. Um, and my doctor gave me a prescription to get an ultrasound and I neglected to do it because I was 24 and I'm like, I've had cancer once I can never get cancer again. Like who gets cancer twice in their life? And I went, I moved, I, I just went on my merry way with, with my, my ultrasound that I didn't do. And six months later, I felt the lump. I thought it got bigger through a self breast exam that I would constantly do. And I constantly felt it. And I just kept saying, I'm crazy. I'm going to be a nurse. I think everything's wrong with me, so on and so forth. So um, my routine, I had my routine OBGYN visit and my doctor's like, you know, I think it, your lump got bigger. And he's like, did you get the ultrasound? I'm like, I did not. So he ordered a mammogram for me the next, like the next day I had it done. I was going to procrastinate it, but my mom's like, you're going tomorrow. Um, and I had the mammogram and I went to a doctor in, in Florida and um and he said to my mom and I, and I, I'm like, I'm seeing this clear as day right now, sat us down in the room and is reading the mammogram and he goes, It doesn't look good. I just I remember I felt my heart in my throat. Like I didn't I didn't know what that meant. And he's like, We're gonna do a biopsy tomorrow. So sure enough, he did the biopsy. And I'm I'm a terrible daughter because I made him call my mother with the results. I didn't even want the doctor to call me because I was so nervous because I knew something wasn't right. And sure enough, my mom called me on a Friday afternoon because, of course, all doctors call you on Friday afternoon at 4.59 p.m. right before the weekend. We actually wait until 5. Exactly. <laughs> he, he told my mom, you know, obviously. And then my mom called me and she was like, are you sitting down? And I'm like, yeah, why? She's like, you have stage two breast cancer. And I was oh, like, wow. I I. I didn't even know what to say. And like, just hearing, like hearing me say it out loud too, it, it, it still like sits in my throat. Cause I just, I was literally on the brink of becoming a nurse and I just could not understand how I became a patient. Like in that moment, I just, I could not believe it. And let alone have cancer again, like what the heck? Um, I opted to do a double mastectomy. Um, my breast cancer was only in my left breast. It was it was localized to my left breast, did not metastasize outside. Um, I did a double mastectomy because I just didn't want to have to deal with it again. Um, and then I went through the normal standard chemo I, that, you know, I had ERPR, HER2 positive breast cancer. Um, and I, I went through chemo till about July. And Right when I finished my chemo treatment, uh, my mom's wonderful friend, who's also a doctor, noticed the mole on my back and was like, I don't want to be nosy, but I think Lainey needs to get this mole checked out on her back. And sure enough, we, my plastic surgeon took the mole off. And again, I can't, I can't forget her walking into the room with a tear, tears in her eyes that I had melanoma. And it was like, it, in literally like less than eight months of being diagnosed with breast cancer, I'm now on my third cancer. And luckily it was localized. So I had adrenal cancer at 18 months, breast cancer at 24, and then melanoma at 25. So here we are. We're like, what the heck is going on? It's interesting because my mom, I remember like a month before that was tested for the BRCA gene and she was negative. So it was just like kind of coincidence. Um, and I am BRCA negative. I did get tested for that. Did they ever say that you should go see a genetic counselor at that point? You know, they never did. And that that is something I think about a lot is, you know, why wasn't I asked, like told to see a genetic counselor after having three cancers like that? It just and I think at the time, BRCA1 was very 
it, it was like so talked about that like because I was negative it was like almost like nothing else was done it was a false reassurance right, right. Exactly. And that's, that's, you know, that's something I really carry with me to this day is that, you know, if you are BRCA1 negative, you know, just be an advocate. If you think something else is wrong, you know, if you've had, if you've had multiple cancers, you know, ask to be genetically tested because my 24 or 25 year old self, I wish I said, Hey, you know, I want to see a genetic counselor because I didn't think of that. And there are innumerable genetic mutations besides BRCA. And even BRCA has gotten even more specifically tested now. Exactly. My mom and I were listening to Dr. Radio in the car on my way to one of my Herceptin treatments. Um, and literally, they were talking about adrenal cancer. And they were talking about this weird genetic mutation, a P53 mutation, gene mutation called Lee-Framini syndrome. And... My mom was like, that's interesting because they were saying, you know, if you've had cancer within the first two years of your life and if you've had adrenal, if you've had adrenal cancer, it's very, it's almost like a 95% chance that you wow. would have Lee-Fermini syndrome. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I had Lee-Fermini, when I had adrenal cancer in 1985, things weren't genetically tested. It just wasn't the thing to do. And, and genetics weren't spoke of. So I asked my doctor and I said, you know, have you ever heard of Lee-Fermini syndrome? you know, remember I had adrenal cancer as a baby and this is a breast oncologist. So, you know, he specializes in breasts. And, and I, I said to him, I said, you know, I think I need to be genetically tested for this. And he goes, Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, but you know, just so you know, that's a textbook genetic disorder. Like that's a te- like, we don't, you don't see that. That's in, that's in the textbook. And he, te- he told me he tested me for it. He told me I was negative. I remember you telling me this. this is, I, I can't. I can't. It, <laughs> he told me I was negative. And like, this is something that, listen, I don't look back. I don't, I don't, listen, I don't believe, I don't want to feel anything bad towards this doctor because if anything, it's taught me a lesson to be my own advocate, to ask for the papers, to see if they correctly tested things, you know, because listen, he, he, he might've thought he tested me for it, but because it was so rare he might not have tested the right thing. And that's, that's what I tell myself is, you know, I don't want to live in negativity and say, why didn't he test me, et cetera. So fast forward to 2010, I was getting my one year, one year PET scan. Um, and when I was getting my PET scan, I would always listen to music. Now I'm, I didn't think anything was wrong with it, right? Listening to music during a PET scan, it calmed, calmed me down. And Sure enough, that one time I was going to get my PET scan, I said, oh, I'm going to put my headphones in. That's okay. He goes, no, you can't put your headphones in because it will block things in your neck. And I'm like, sorry. I'm like, I listened to listen to my headphones the last time I had my PET scan. So he's like, no, we don't, we don't allow you to listen to pet, your headphones. Well, interestingly enough, they saw a huge mass in my thyroid that spread to my chest and it ended up being thyroid cancer. Oh my God. So I'm... Um, this was in 2010. So here we are four cancers. Um, you know, my twenties have been really fun so far. Um, and I went to a hospital that specialized in, in thyroid cancer and for my surgery. And that's when they asked me the question, have you been genetically tested for Lee-Framini syndrome? And I said, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm negative. And I think they looked at me with like 17 eyes. They're like, okay, we know you're definitely not negative. We're not going to say we know you're not, but so they retested me. Um, and at the time, only a certain specific hospital did the testing for Lee-Framini. And sure enough, um, I had it. I, I had Lee-Framini syndrome and 
I'm a spontaneous mutation, so my parents do not have it, and it, which is also very rare because normally it's passed down from your parents. Um, my parents are both cancer survivors, but do not have Lee-Fermini syndrome, and thankfully are doing amazing. Um, so, you know, what this means is that cancer is going to be a permanent fixture in my life. And, um, you know, I knew, I know, I, I always tell people, I know I'm a ticking time bomb. You know, it's just kind of when's the next cancer going to pop up. And, you know, my story doesn't end there. I ended up having a reoccurrence of breast cancer. Um, it came back in my lymph nodes. Um, I had a reoccurrence of thyroid cancer. Um, so I will say from about 24 till about 30 years old. I, I got a diagnosis of cancer every year and it was a, it was a bouncing between a bounce back of, between of um, thyroid cancer and breast cancer. Oh and, and fortunately today I'm no, no evidence of disease, but you know, because my breast cancer did keep coming back, I ended up um, having radiation, which the benefits of radiation outweigh the negative of me getting radiation because with the P53 gene mutation, your radiation, you want to steer away from radiation, basically. But, you know, my doctors were hesitant, but, you know, they explained the risk to me. And the risk was that I could develop a sarcoma within three years. And what that meant is I was taking very aggressive protocols where I would get now switched to whole body MRIs and chest ultrasounds every three months, monitoring me for sarcoma. And mm, wow. I, I believe three years to the day, I developed a sarcoma in my chest wall and believe it or not, it wasn't even picked up on an MRI. It was picked up on an ultrasound. Cause you're the superficial ultrasounds had such a high um, resolution. You could see tiny subcutaneous, like sub centimeter, like sub five millimeter nodules. Oh yeah. And they were, it was so tiny. Like uh-huh. it was so tiny exactly to your point that one, that an MRI wouldn't even pick it up. Yeah. So um, it's a protocol that I've been doing now since 2012 um, so I get whole body MRIs every three months and I get chest ultrasounds every three months to go along. It's amazing that once the diagnosis of Lee Fraumini was established, your entire approach changed with the alternating imaging. Like now we're, you know, cooking with fire. Um, whereas before it was kind of like, oh, there's a mole on your back. Oh, mm-hmm. take your headphones. Off. Like it, it's it's so driven now. Your treatment plan is so driven now that you have a diagnosis. Exactly. And you know, another thing too is I was getting PET scans every year, every six months before I knew I had Lee And imagine, you know, the radiation in a PET scan. So that was also a protocol that changed for me. They flipped it to whole body MRIs because of because of the there not being as much radiation in MRI. No radiation MRIs. So um, you know, all my protocols changed. So how do you cope, you know, living with Lee Fraumini syndrome or just, you know, having a genetic predisposition for developing cancer? Knowing is the best thing that's ever happened to me because yeah. I am literally living my life every three months is how I live my life is every three months I go to Houston for my follow-up scans and I tell myself if something's there, it's only three months old. And, and it's truly like, I am truly surviving because of early detection. Like that is literally the only reason that I'm here is that early detection has saved my life along with genetic screening. That is why I love your, your Instagram handle is the early detective and you couldn't have chosen a better handle. Yes, I did create an Instagram. And I think for me, my goal in life, and we were just talking about this before, is that I have literally turned my diagnosis into my purpose. 
I'm here for a reason. And if I help one person, you know, catch something early or, or just even if they're newly diagnosed, knowing that like, it's okay. Like I'm, I'm living proof that like I live with stage four breast cancer and I have no evidence of disease. And I think it's, it's just a message, you know, if I can just tell people to act early, right. It's going to save your life. Like, you know, your body the best you live in the skin you're in, you know, if something is not right, you need to speak up. And, you know, listen, I look back at myself at 24 and 25 and I'm like, there are times that maybe I should have spoken up a little bit more because, you know, maybe I would have caught my breast cancer a little bit earlier. Right. Like, I mean, and I, I went, I'm still in active treatment. I take oral chemo every day. I'm on Herceptin for the rest of my life. And, you know, there, yeah, I do look back, but I can't look back. I always look forward because I'm just so grateful that I've caught everything early. My, my motto is, is I live every day. Like it's my first and there's no, there's no reason to hold a grudge. Life is too short to hold a grudge. And I, I truly think, you know, that misdiagnosis, everything leads you to where you are today. And it you can't, you can't who he is. You do something very interesting, which I've been working on a lot. And that is you live life in the present. Mm-hmm. The concept of, like you said, always looking forward, never looking back, not holding a grudge. It's very like present thinking, you're intentional. And I think that's how a lot of people are trying to cope with anxiety or whatever's going on in their lives, living in the present, living in the present is the new <laughs> it's it's real right now. It is. And you know, like I, and listen, I'm, we're all human, right? Like, trust me, I get skin anxiety and I get scared. And if there's something on my skin, I freak out. Like, don't think I'm like, Oh, yay. Sometimes in rainbows, like I might have another cancer. No, it's scary. Like I, and most recently I just had my remaining adrenal gland out. And this is actually why I started my Instagram is, you know, I had, um, again, I had a whole body MRI. They saw a mass on my, my, my one and only remaining adrenal gland. And they had told me that it needs to come out because that's the other thing. That's a caveat with my, my genetic predisposition is that if there's something 90% of the time that that body part needs to come out. Like it's, that's just what happens is, is the approach with my, with me is a little bit more aggressive than maybe somebody mm-hmm. who doesn't have a leaf from me, which I accept. I've lost a few body parts and it was not cancer, but that's okay. Like I'm okay with it. I, I have the body, body parts that I need to survive right now. So it's all good. But most recently I had my adrenal removed and you know, another miraculous thing happened to me, my adrenal tissue from a baby regenerated, I thought I was going to wake up and have to be on crazy medication. And this was probably one of the scariest surgeries I've ever been through. And um, they told me that my adrenal tissue is working, and I didn't have to be on any medication. And I'm just living life normally with no adrenal glands. Thank God. Yeah. So for those who who are not medical, the adrenal gland provides stress hormones and steroids. So if you don't have that, you could die. I mean, you'd be dead mm-hmm. without them. So Basically, yeah. And I'm so I've, I've learned to become very calm. Um, I do have like an, an emergency injection in case of an emergency because we don't know how my tissue is going to work. This made me start my Instagram because I really said, you know, I'm I'm so lucky with everything I've been through. And I almost had like a revelation when I was in the hospital and I'm like, I need, I need to do something because this, this adrenal gland that was removed and the tumor that was on it was caught at stage zero. And 
it's unheard of for adrenal cancer to be caught at stage zero. So it's truly a testament to my early detection that that is taking place and the aggressiveness that my doctors and my team are doing to make sure that I'm in the best of hands. And I think, you know, that is so important to always remember is that your doctors are your team. And if you don't feel that way with them, then you may need to get another opinion. This is definitely a recurrent theme that we've been hearing um, of, of breast cancer survivors and cancer survivors in general. And it's very telling. I, I think it's very empowering. I feel like pay, people are empowering other people to make them get the best care that they deserve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We talked about how your 20s were spent just living through cancer diagnosis after cancer diagnosis. At what point do you find time to focus on your personal life, to get married? What was that like for your relationship? So, so it's interesting. So I, my, I, me and my husband, we always joked, like I always said, you can't like propose to me until my hair is long. Cause my hair was always like a huge part of me. Like that was like probably the hardest thing was losing my hair. And my husband and I were together. We've been together for 17 years married for almost 10 but um when we got engaged it was about seven years and of course every Jewish mother is always like when are you gonna propose and when are you gonna propose and I think the fear was is I was diagnosed with breast cancer at 24 I was with my husband since I was 21 I think the fear was that like he was gonna leave me but my husband always said I married you the day I was the day you were diagnosed so that's why it never it never like appeared to him to rush and getting engaged. He wanted to make sure I was healthy and I was comfortable. And like I said, I was, you can't, you can't propose to me until my hair is long. So sure enough, we're big Disney fans. He proposed to me in Disney world. Our wedding was March 3rd of 2012 and um, December ish of 2011, they found another positive lymph node for breast cancer. Just one. Um, and that's when I had, um, been told by my doctors that you have to go through chemo again and not oral chemo that I was doing before. Um, you have to go through an intense chemo and I'm like, well, my wedding's in like six and a half, seven weeks. I'm like, I can't lose my hair. I'm like, I'm getting married. I cannot lose my hair. And verbatim, the doctor said to me, you either lose your hair or you lose your life. And when she said that to me, I was like, holy shit, like that, it rocked my world. Like she literally said, you either lose your hair or you lose your life. And I said, okay, I'll lose my hair. I'll lose my hair. I'll lose my hair. There's a wig, whatever. Fine. Six weeks before my wedding, my hair, I was trying to hold on to it as long as I could. I had a head shaving party and my photographer photographed us. And, you know, it was so much fun. Like we literally turned lemons into lemonade and we had the best time. We were stuffing bags for the wedding and I was shaving my head. Hair was flying everywhere. Um, and it just, you know, it was, it was sad, but like at that moment, I really, I really thought about brides who focus on sometimes the wrong things, right. The details and all that stuff. And, you know, I think it's important to remember to not lose sight of what marriage is. And for me and my husband, it was all about love and the people that were there. And I will say the only bad thing about having cancer and your wedding is everybody wants to be there. 
Like, you know, you always have that, like, you always have that, like, 10% who is like, oh, no, 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 no. Everybody showed up to the wedding because they weren't going to miss it because they thought I was dying. It was like, no, we're coming to the wedding. Like, (laughs) no, in in all seriousness, though, everybody wanted to be there because it was a very momentous occasion through everything I've been through and everything. But, you know, nobody, nobody wanted to miss the wedding. But, and we never went on a honeymoon. My husband and I never went on a honeymoon. My honey, our honeymoon was chemotherapy the next day that Monday we got to push my chemo off like four days but I will tell you the best part about our wedding was the band had no clue that I was wearing a wig and we were dancing to I got a feeling because of course you have to play that every every yeah Um, and bar mitzvah mitzvah, right and I threw my wig off (laughs) the band stopped like it was like i got feeling that and like it was it was a great moment they're like oh my god and they had no idea and listen like another thing is is i know it was funny i have photos to prove it too but i think another thing to just like for me that i think is something that i always look back on my photos and it's like I never dreamed of my wedding. I, but I also didn't envision myself looking how I looked at my wedding. Like I, you know, I was on steroids and like, I, I looked like a football player and like, you know, I won't listen. I wasn't that petite, beautiful bride I wanted to be, but you know what? I look at myself and I'm like, damn, like I was, I was fighting for my life and was having the best time and marrying the love of my life and had my whole family around me. So I think it's just so important for anybody who's engaged or getting married or just anything is just don't lose sight of what marriage is. It's that day is about love and that's all that matters. And, you know, I was headlined as the cancer fighting bride and, you know, on the, yeah, t- on the, today, show, show, right? on the yeah. today show and it's, listen, I have an, an amazing husband and I think he is a big reason why I am the way I am today because I, I, couldn't imagine doing life without him. I mean, he is my cheerleader and he tells me to wear my sleeve for my lymphedema all the time because I never want to wear it. And he is like, he, he's got the whip craft, which is good about on my health. He's very, very good at that. How is Lee Fermini inherited? So it's, it, as I mentioned, so I'm, I'm a spontaneous mutation. So it's very rare that your parents, you know, don't have it. So it's usually passed down from your parents. Sometimes also it can be like an aunt or uncle, aunt or uncle can have it. And like, I've I've heard of people's aunts aunts and uncles having it. And then, you know, the niece and nephew have it. Um, But me, in my case, I'm a spontaneous mutation. My my parents don't have it. Neither of my siblings have it. Um, So what that meant is, you know, I had to obviously think about that when I was diagnosed and my and having children, etc. So I actually opted to have a hysterectomy because they had found a mass on my ovary. Um, and at the time, I think I was 27. And I, I believe I knew I had Lee So at the forefront of my mind, I was like, Oh, my God, I just don't feel like I could bring a child into this world knowing, you know, that they had like an 80 to 90% chance of having me from me. So um, I did opt to do that. But, you know, it's interesting, because I'll never forget when I was first diagnosed with breast cancer, it's like, you're diagnosed, and then they send you to IVF. And you're just like, what the heck, like, I'm 24, I can't even think about having kids. And you know, I, I actually did not, I was not able to harvest my eggs. And you know, I always say fate works in mysterious ways, because at that time, I didn't know I had leave from me. But you know, eventually, like, I'll, I'll do surrogacy or adopt or, or something. But 
we always say, my husband and I, in this moment, we are living our best life because our 20s was literally focused around me surviving and thriving and, you know, being able to live. So now, you know, I'm still surviving and thriving, but, you know, kids are kids are in, in talks right now. Nothing, you know, you know, I, I think for, for me, knowing I have Lee-Fermini syndrome too, there's always that fear that like my cancer can come back in a vengeance, right? And it's it's a, it's a fear I live with, but, you know, if, if, and when I want to be a mother, I'm going to put it out there. If anybody wants to donate their eggs, I'm, I have um, open. I, I'm just oh, there we go. If we found you an egg donor on this podcast, yeah. our purpose would be served. <laughs> an, egg, an egg donor. Um, So we'll put feelers out there. I'm looking for an egg donor and a surrogate. Um, So, you know. <laughs> You never know. You I, really never know. I would, nothing would make me happier. If Great, you could yeah. find. Can you imagine? And um, no offense, I don't want Ashkenazi jeans. Well, I guess you and I are out of the question. <laughs> There's a hotbed of Ashkenazi right here. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> Little known fact, hotbed of Ashkenazi was our first Instagram handle. <laughs> I have never been asked more in my life, are you Ashkenazi? <laughs> I'm telling you, we need a good comeback for that. I have a, wait. Are you Mashkenazi? <laughs> but you know, it's funny. My, my, my oncologist, not the oncologist that we were talking about before, but he, he was the best. And he was a Orthodox Jewish doctor and he was amazing. And he said to me, if I can offer you one piece of advice, it's don't marry a Jewish guy. <laughs> Jewish moms everywhere. Like, cringed when they heard that your mom literally <laughs> turned off the podcast <laughs> yeah but he said it to me he's like if I, if I was up to you he goes mom close your ears and I'm like it's okay my husband's catholic what is some parting advice that you would give to someone with a newly diagnosed genetic predisposition or a disposition? I think that knowing you have a genetic predis- predisposition is probably the best thing you will know in your journey um I think Yes, it's definitely scary to think like, oh my God, like what's tomorrow going to bring? But I think instead of looking at, at it like that, knowledge is power and knowing that you have your gen- genetic disorder is going to save your life. And I think that if you look at it in that aspect, like, I mean, hearing my story, knowing I have a genetic disorder is the best thing that's ever happened to me because I think it really helps doctors understand your plan of care. And I think it's always important to remember that if you are newly diagnosed or living with a genetic predisposition, that your care is manifested to you as a patient and not the patient that they saw before. Because that's something that I'm so fortunate is that my I am treated as me as a patient and not as the patient that they saw right before me. So I think that that's just something so important to remember. And, you know, knowing Yes, it's, it might be a label on yourself, but that's okay. You can think of it as a Gucci or Prada label, but it's it's a label. It's a label on you that is going to save your life. And that's, it's so important. You've depicted how empowering a situation it became for you, for you, for your doctors. It just, it, it created a lot of intention in your treatment and you're right. It, it, it just, puts you in a better headspace knowing that it's something that you it, can it's, plan it's for. It's so true. And I think, I think, you know, another message I just want to share is that if you're w- worried, worried about being genetically tested, you know, I hope this allows you to rethink that because 
you know, I, I think a lot of people are scared to be genetically tested or they put off being genetically tested. Like I wish I was genet- genetically tested when I had my first cancer, because I, I feel like it would have just changed a whole protocol. Like I probably wouldn't have had CAT scans every six months of my life until I was 15. And like, you know, I think, I think, you know, for, for younger, younger kids who, you know, whose parents might have, you know, a cancer predisposition, you know, I think even just starting to talk to a genetic counselor early on, I think is so important because I, I really wish if I had to look back at anything is I wish I would have known sooner that I had Lee Fromini. So how has your diagnosis of Lee Fromini syndrome and your multiple cancers affected your career? I always say I should become a doctor at this point, but you know, I will give a shout out to all you doctors and all the nurses because it is honestly like it, it's a gift because I, it's something I could never do. So I save lives in a different way without a medical degree. And I, I do fundraising uh, for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And that's my gift. Like that is exactly how I've turned my diagnosis into my purpose is that I did not end up going to nursing school because the second somebody brought in a bedpan to my room, I was like, oh, no, I would never do that. And that was like the deal breaker. I'm like, I'm done. And I had a catheter. Forget it. That was a deal breaker. I'm like, Definitely the Lord's work. Being a nurse. That is the Lord's work. I figured, you know, how is there a way I can save lives in a different way? And that's why I chose nonprofit. So it's, it's, it's so purposeful for me because, like I said before, I, I have been blessed to be on this earth. And I think I need to, you know, I, I've really shaped my my life around purpose. And that's that's what I, I, I do every day. You know, I wake up every day and I save little babies' lives through fundraising. So Incredible. you are an inherent helper. Yeah. You were Thank when you. you wanted to be a nurse. You probably were well before then and you are now. And it's just a beautiful thing to just see how that's evolved over time. It's, and, and, you know, it, it's, it's, I always say cancer is probably the best thing that's happened to me. And that sounds so wacky and weird, but it's truly shaped who I am. And I, I don't let it define who I am, but it's truly shaped who I am. So Lainey's story obviously brings up so many important points about genetics, um, and we thought it was really important to close out the episode uh, with a few minutes from a genetic counselor. Um, So we broke our rule of trying to keep it under 30 minutes, but we hope you agree this was a really important conversation that needed to be had. So Emily Goldberg, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So my name is Emily Goldberg, and I'm a genetic counselor. I work for JScreen, which is a nonprofit Um, whose goal is to provide genetic education and counseling. Um, I've been a genetic counselor for 10 years, and I specialize both in reproductive genetics and also cancer genetic testing. I think the takeaway point from listening to Lainey's story is that, you know, she probably could have seeked genetic counseling earlier. So what are some red flags that people should be aware of that might cause them to seek a genetic counselor? Yeah, so that can look very different to a lot of different people. So I think like in her case, for example, anyone that's diagnosed with something unusually young, right? So people who are diagnosed with breast cancer, when they're in their 20s, 30s, even 40s, that's a big red flag in genetics because we know that there's a lot of different things that contribute to cancer risk. Um, A lot of them we can't control like things that we're breathing in the air and you know other things we're exposed to. Our age is a big risk factor for cancer. So there are certain things we really don't have 
control over. Um, and genetics is included in that. So when we see that someone is diagnosed with a particular cancer at a really unusually young age for that cancer, it makes us wonder if there was something else about them that was contributing to their risk, like something genetic. Um, so that could be breast cancer, that could be colon cancer. Um, some, some cancers, you know, like leukemia, for example, that really can hit anybody at any age. Mm -hmm. um, but some really are more focused on certain age groups. So when there's something outside of that, that sends up my genetic counselor, you know, red flag alert. Mm -hmm. Other things like, um, and Lainey, you know, is a good example really of many of these, mm -hmm. is multiple types of cancer. So sometimes cancers can look unrelated when really they are. So, you know, in the case of Lee-Fraumini syndrome, if we see young breast cancer and a sarcoma and leukemia, you know, in my brain, I put those together and say, you know, to the average person, it might seem like these are totally not related to each other, no. but we're trained to look for different patterns. So when someone's had multiple types of cancer, even if it's the same type, so maybe they've had bilateral breast cancer um, or, um, kidney cancer and then kidney cancer again in the other kidney. Mm -hmm. um, so multiple different types of cancer and then also really rare forms. Mm -hmm. So for example, there's a really rare type of cancer in the adrenal glands called adrenal cortical carcinoma, which is almost always genetic. So these really rare cancer types, um, if you see those, that should be another reason to think about genetics. Lainey was actually diagnosed with adrenal cancer at 18 months. There you go. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, one thing that's unique about Lee-Fraumini syndrome um, is that most hereditary cancer genes, so the ones that get a lot of attention are like BRCA1 and 2, um, which are associated with breast, ovarian, prostate, pancreatic cancer, is we're not testing children for them. They're really not known mm -hmm. to be associated with cancers in childhood. Lee-Fraumini kind of throws all of that out the window, um, where we see cancers like her, it sounds like, in babies, um, mm -hmm. in young adults, in adults, in older adults. So really anybody of any age could be eligible for genetic testing based on what's in their personal or family history. Mm -hmm. So um, these are kind of the red flags, both for the individual, but also if we mm -hmm. see that happen in someone's family, then they may seek genetic testing, even if they've never had cancer themselves. And what if someone's just curious? Like, what do you, would you recommend just, you know, seeing a genetic counselor if they just have questions or? Yeah, that's a great question. So historically, genetic testing has been ridiculously expensive and there were really strict rules about who could have testing, who couldn't. Um, and, you know, insurance companies, who's going to cover it and who isn't. Um, but in the last five or 10 years, our technology has gotten better. It's gotten more accessible and more affordable. Um, and so just as an example, when we started our cancer genetic tests with JScreen, um, we decided to make it accessible to everyone. And that's because we know that at least half of people with um, a BRCA mutation, for example, don't meet traditional criteria. So most people don't know that they're at risk for it. Most people, even if we took a whole family history, we wouldn't say that there's anything in their family that's a red flag. 
So by, mm -hmm. by opening it up to everyone, we feel like, you know, we don't want to wait until everybody in your family has cancer in order mm -hmm. to provide you with testing. So for people that are out there who say, you know what, I'm the type of person, I like to know things, I like to be proactive about my health, I say go for it. Again, still think about some of these issues like, am I ready for this information? Can I act on it? Um, they may look into issues of life insurance and disability insurance ahead of time. Um, but in most cases, this can give us good information that we can act on that we can really use to be proactive about our health. Um, and oftentimes it really can make a difference. What do you tell someone that's like, I guess, hesitant to get genetic testing because they're scared of what it might uncover? And that is totally valid. I would say I totally understand where you're coming from because it's a lot of information. And once you know it, you can't unknow it, mm -hmm. right? You sort of opened Pandora's box. So what I encourage people to do is to think about um, you know, when timing of genetic testing is right for them, um, if they feel like they're ready to learn that information. Some of that comes down to what gene it is um, and what they would do with the information. So for example, with Lee-Fraumini syndrome, as I said, unfortunately, we do have to test children young because we would start mm -hmm. immediately with different screenings um, and potentially preventive measures. Whereas somebody who's being tested for genes that are only associated with adult onset cancers we want to make sure that they're testing at an age where they know what they're being tested for, they're ready to hear the information, and also that they can be proactive about it, right? So telling a 12-year-old that when they're 30, they need to start mammograms is really not helping anybody. Right. <laughs> um, we also encourage people to think about it in terms of their family planning. Um, so some people might say, you know what, I want to find out if I have this particular genetic change, because if I do, um, and there's a risk of passing that on to my future children, I may consider, um, you know, using an egg donor, or I may consider doing in vitro fertilization. You can actually screen embryos. I don't know if you've talked mm -hmm. about this on your show before, but you can actually yeah. do in vitro fertilization, where you take egg and you take sperm and you create embryos in the lab. Most people do this for infertility. Um, and then you take those embryos and those get put into the uterus, hopefully resulting in a pregnancy. Um, but when there's a risk for genetic disease, you can actually test each embryo and then pick and choose embryos that are unaffected. So it's actually possible to have children without passing on that particular genetic change that you're talking about. Well, that's a great relief, I'm sure, to lots of listeners who, you know, are concerned about that they want to have, a, you know, children, but this, you know, it's a lot to, it's a lot to know that you have a genetic um, predisposition for cancer and you're bringing it to your child. So that's good news. Yeah. And another thing for people with cancer is to make sure they talk with their oncologist about fertility preservation. Um, so, you know, at 25, they're diagnosed with something and they need chemotherapy um, to make sure they're talking about their reproductive options as well for the future. That's all great advice. Um, and tell us a little bit. So, if someone's listening and they want to um, get, they want to reach out to J Screen. Is it is it only for Jewish people? I guess it's the not. Jewish <laughs> it's for everybody, regardless of background, regardless of um, you know family history or personal history. Um, mm -hmm. So, J Screen has two tests. One is our Cancer Gen, which includes sixty three genes, 
including TP53, which is the gene associated with Leaf-Raumini syndrome, mm -hmm. and BRCA1 and 2, and you know, 60 others. Um, mm -hmm. It's all done from home. So you sign up online, a genetic counselor will, like myself will reach out. Um, we get a signed order from your doctor's office, so we work with them. Um, and then you get a saliva kit in the mail, you spit into it, and a couple weeks mm -hmm. later, you'll get the results either from myself or one of the other genetic counselors. Uh -huh. We also have a separate reproductive carrier screening panel. So these are for people who are starting families or expanding their families, and they want to know if there's a risk for genetic diseases. So these are things like Tay-Sachs, sickle cell disease, cystic fibrosis, where it doesn't impact their own health, but they could have an mm -hmm. affected child. Um, so to sign up, you know, they can go to jscreen.org, request their kit. Mm -hmm. um, again, regardless of background, we have financial assistance for people who need it. So definitely, you know, anyone can reach out if they have concerns. And what is like a typical cost of a, of a, a genetic testing kit? So kidding? the cancer gen test, as long as you submit any type of U.S. insurance, um, mm -hmm. is $199, regardless okay. of if your insurance covers it or not. So even mm -hmm. if you know you don't have a family history or a personal history, or you've asked your insurance company before and they don't cover it, um, it's $199 regardless. Anything left over will basically get billed to JScreen. The reproductive mm -hmm. carrier screening is $149. And then mm -hmm. if people wanna do both together, um, then it's 299. Um, mm -hmm. But really, you know, our goal is to make it as accessible as possible. So we do have financial assistance. Um, and for anybody listening, um, if you wanna use the code JScreen5050, just one word, then for any of the tests that you pick out, It'll give. It'll take fifty dollars off. Woohoo! There you go. So it's J Screen J S C R E E N five zero. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for your time and your expertise and for that fifty dollars off code. So. Yeah, may as well. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you offering some insight into the genetic component, which is so important. So really appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. And anyone listening, if you have any questions, you feel free to reach out. I'm happy to chat. We're on Instagram at um, getjscreened. It does have that ED on the end. Mm -hmm. Our website is jscreen.org. Um, and then there's a contact us page on there as well. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> A huge thank you to Lainey Jones and Emily Goldberg for sharing their stories and offering advice regarding genetic mutations. We hope you found this episode helpful. Until next time, let's be breasties. If you like what you heard or learned something new, please make sure to leave us a five-star review and subscribe. I've literally always wanted to say that and share with your friends. Make sure you check back every two weeks for more great content. We've got some incredible guests coming up and you won't want to miss them. And follow the Booby Docs across all social media platforms for more of the breast information.